everyone, and welcome to Play on K, the Korean drama podcast with Emily and Raquel. And this is the show where we take a K-drama, we watch it two to four episodes at a time, and then we get together here every week to talk about it. This week we're doing our bonus episode of Crash Landing on You. We've watched the entire thing. We did our finale episode last week, and this week we're back to just talk more about it as a whole, like a whole piece of work, maybe a little behind the scenes, maybe a little bit fun facts, you know, just whatever we kind of, whatever direction we want to take it in. And we're really excited to talk more about this one. I could probably, we should probably like do a spinoff podcast that's just about crash landing on you. Probably. I'd be down with that. We could watch it every day, every episode, every day, mm-hmm. and we just talk about them. Ooh, okay. New Those podcast. are some long days, but I'm, yeah, I'm here for that, that day. This is very exciting. Um, so to be clear, this episode is going to be probably full of spoilers and also probably a mess. So welcome to that. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of research on stuff about reunification and fun facts on Crash Landing on You. Fun facts about North Korea, if that's possible to have call them fun facts (laughs) but there's a neat story that i came across that i'm super excited to share i at this point thanks to crash landing on you just feel like everything about north korea is just super fun except the murder parts that that's rough you know and we don't know it's hard to say crash landing on you is a work of fiction who knows uh but some people actually probably do know yeah (laughs) Just based on one statement from you, I'm ready to just dive in. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, this is exciting. So, yeah, North Korea is not great. Um, this show, Crash Landing on You, actually got sued by, let's see, the Christian Liberal Party of South Korea filed a lawsuit, um, Or I guess they formally accused TVN, the producers of Crash Landing on You, of violating the National Security Act. And they said, quote, One should not praise or follow any anti-national organizations that compromise the existence of South Korea. So basically, what you said about South or North Korea seeming like a fantastic place full of nice people and very exciting, uh... Is against the law, actually. Whoa. Yeah. They can't portray enemies of the state as being nice, likable people. So They did a great job of doing exactly that because I liked so many of those North Koreans. Yeah, kind of better than anyone else has ever done, which made Mm -hmm. it very dangerous. But as far as I know, most cases of this type... For, like, media, like TV shows and movies, nothing comes of them because they have a little more sway. They're not actually trying to influence people into liking North Korea. They're just portraying almost a a fantasy version, I guess. I mean, we've had a lot of fun here in the first five minutes of our podcast, but that said, I I don't necessarily want to go to North Korea or even think it's, like, a great place. They obviously showed a lot of the potential, like, perhaps dramatized, perhaps not, perhaps underplayed issues with North Korea. So I definitely wouldn't call it, like, propaganda, necessarily. Uh, So it's interesting that there were some people that 
definitely read into it as kind of pro-North Korean propaganda enough to the extent that they'd want to file a lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, I will say that putting someone as beautiful as Hyun Bin in, <laughs> in that entire, like, big, big lure, you know? <laughs> so I guess I can see that as propaganda. Yeah, I get that. That's their mistake. They cast someone too beautiful to play a North Korean. They did, I think they covered their bases just putting that disclaimer at the top of every episode of like, this is all fictitious, even the places. We are definitely not talking about North and South Korea. It is interesting. I think we talked about this kind of around the beginning when we first started calling North Korea North Korea to cover our bases, because it's North Korea 100%, and I will bring this recording into a court of law and prove that. Please don't sue us. We're very poor. You'll get nothing. You'll just destroy lives. But pretty much uh, where I was going before that little tangent was that I don't remember them. Do they They call it North and South? Do they call them North and South Korea or do they just say the North and the South? They might just say the North and the South. I feel like they never say North Korea or South Korea specifically, but I could be totally wrong. I could just be me misremembering. I just never remember them stating it directly as far as naming countries, naming names, you know? Mm -hmm. Very clever. Very cleverly done. But I guess they had to be because apparently you can go to jail for up to seven years for spreading propaganda. Cheese and crackers. That is heavy. Yep. But I get it, though. It's a dangerous game. Tensions run high. So one of the writers, this is a pretty well-known fun fact, but one of the writers, Kwok Moon-Wan, was a North Korean defector, and <gasps> he, as well as all of the writers and a lot of the crew, took really special care and sp paid a lot of attention in trying to get all the details of North Korean life right. Actually, uh, a YouTuber who was also a defector of North Korea Whoa. named Kang Nara said it was like 60% accurate compared to her memory, which is like pretty darn impressive when they had like the set designs and the costuming and even down to the language being slightly different. Mm -hmm. Just crazy for a country that most of them had never been to. Yeah, never seen, never... I mean, the vast majority of them have never been to and is intentionally and deliberately so very, very secretive about yeah. what goes on. It's It was actually wild for me um, kind of trying to consider. And before, like, you told me that fun fact maybe um, a week or two ago. And before that, I was wondering how accurate everything was and how yeah just just the little details and and what was true and what was not it was one of, it's one of those things where they kind of make note of it, it it's a very self-aware k-drama because they kind <laughs> of make note about like not knowing anything about capitalist nations western nations uh the south stuff yeah. like that and they, yeah they just talk about not really having eyes on on that or or they spread silly funny rumors that we can all laugh about about what we do and so it was i don't know it's one of those things where you wonder to what extent it's true their lives were portrayed correctly or accurately um and it's really really cool that they had that perspective 
they had some North Korean pers- perspective and and could use it to kind of build that narrative yeah. about life in North Korea. And that they cared enough to do that. I think it would be easy to write it off as kind of the reverse of what we saw a lot in the show of like, we don't know what the other side looks like. A lot of the North Koreans in the show would say like, the South probably looks like this. And we picture it this way because we've been told that. And it would be easy for these writers from the South to have grown up with the image of the North a certain way and not unconsciously just impose those ideas onto their creations. And it's really nice that they took the time to try and be like, maybe some of the things that we think about North Korea are wrong. Maybe some of them are right. But let's put forth some research and some effort to seeing how accurate we can get our show compared to the real country with real people that's right across the border. Yeah, and they did such a good job of making all of those people feel real. And something that's interesting to me is actually the what we would definitely consider negative qualities of North Korean life that uh, were portrayed there. And again, I don't know if this was one of the 60% of the details being accurate. I assume it was. But uh, something that stood out to me about the whole life that they built for these very realistic characters within North Korea was um, they had stuff like random home searches and they were pretty afraid of their government coming in and, and seeing what they're doing, but they also all had contraband, like uh, south, southern and western contraband and like stuff they shouldn't have had in their homes. And uh, I think it's one of those things that's interesting where they were almost entirely unfazed by those home searches and stuff. And so they, because of that, I feel like I was unfazed where it actually would be awful to have that, you know, random home searches and have to report to someone in your town who may or may not be a good person looking out for your best interests. Like, they were lucky enough to have the head of their town, um, whose name I will never remember, uh, but the one female that was the leader, the town leader that conducted the home searches and, and would go through. And if you imagine those searches being conducted by someone who you didn't adore by the end of the K-drama, you know, it would be awful. Someone who didn't have your best interest, someone who was taking advantage, or someone who could potentially take advantage or lie or tell the truth about something that you have in your home or whatever the case may be. It's one of those things that actually is extremely, extremely negative and would be horrible to have happen. But in the setting of crash landing on you, it didn't seem so bad because she was like, yeah, keep your rice cooker. You're talking rice cooker. Just give me some next time. Yeah. Like she's the nice neighbor first and the the lead. Yeah. The, the head neighborhood watch lady second. Whereas you can pretty easily imagine that... There would be other neighborhoods, or in reality, it might be easier to imagine prioritizing her power and her safety and her family's safety and doing her job well. And like you said, maybe even doing, like, even playing for power in, like, lying what people have in the, about what people have in their houses. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. That's very scary. Yeah. So it's one of those things that actually is negative but didn't 
feel particularly negative in this setting Mm. that I guess you could view as some kind of propaganda in favor of North Korea because it just wasn't that that particular aspect of North Korean life didn't seem like a big deal, even though it would be, ugh, random house searches would be terrible. Yeah. Also, just another aspect of North Korean life that it feels like the drama didn't really touch on or, like, vaguely did in more positive ways than they may happen in real life is the sort of caste system that exists mm-hmm. there. Of, like, we had our main character, Ri Jong-hyuk, from a very prestigious family, a very high-up family, and he's kind of, quote-unquote, secretly in this fairly low position in the military. As far as we can tell, he's, like, definitely the highest in his ranks among the boys, but from what we see, anyone above him who tries to come after him suddenly backs off when they find out who his family is. So you think, like, he's in a fairly lower position in in the military, but he does have this, this backing and this power, so you don't really know why he's that far down. It seems like it might be a choice, but you don't see the reverse in the drama of as much of someone maybe low down, lower in the government who comes from like a poor or working class family trying to move up, I guess, except mm-hmm. with maybe our main villain, um, yeah. Jo Chol Gong, being like he, he had to sacrifice basically everything. He had to really play the game and move a lot of money around. But even then, you're not really clear what his background is, but he had to make so many pieces move in very certain ways and become this evil person to try and get any power in this society, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting looking back because I guess I didn't put much thought into that aspect of the drama, if that makes sense. It's one of those things where obviously it's North Korea and South Korea, even though we probably just call it the North or the South or the North or the South, if you're me and Emily. <laughs> but I guess I just didn't, until we did this bonus episode, I didn't really think about the intricacies of it being North Korea specifically. And it was just a forbidden place, and the other places were also forbidden, and there was this hard border between them, and it made up the plot of the K-drama, which mattered so much more. The love between Ri Jong-hyuk and Yoon Se-ri was so much more compelling than the idea that it was North and South Korea, which is wild because that is very compelling. They did a very good job of <laughs> investing me in that romance. There, I don't think I thought about the cast system specifically until I read a BBC news story about... Oh, you did so much research. I'm so sorry. I did so much research. <laughs> I've got two more pieces of research. Maybe three. So, like, they'll keep coming. They're not endless, though, I promise. <laughs> but a BBC news story came out, um, I think it was 2018? Probably shouldn't say, because I don't actually know. About two <laughs> North Korean defectors. One, his name is... Jung Kwang Jin. Jung Kwang Jin. Nailed it. Nailed it. He was a prison guard at, uh, like, a detention center of people awaiting their trials, and he met a prisoner whose pseudonym was Kim in the story, but her name was changed to protect her identity, because Jung Kwang Jin moved to America after he defected, but he 
befriended this prisoner. They started talking all the time. He realized that he would never be able to live the life that he wanted to live as a North Korean. He was born into a farming family, and as part of his mandatory military service, he was guarding this prison for years and years, and he thought that he was kind of working his way up to be a police officer, which he'd always dreamed of. And his father sat him down one day and was like, son, we live in a caste system. I'm a farmer. You will be a farmer. You will never be able to sit for the police exam. You'll never be able to, like, bribe your way into that job. We will never be able to get you there. And so he kind of got disillusioned with the whole country. And the woman, Miss Kim, was in the prison awaiting her, her trial and her... She was eventually convicted of... Gosh, I can't remember the word... But essentially, she was smuggling people across the border to China. She was helping people. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. No. Is it trafficking? Uh, Trafficking's different. If it's willing. Yeah, if you're helping, yeah, smuggling people, I think is the closest thing I can think of. Smuggling. But yeah, there was a specific word for like brokering, I think might have been the word. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I could be wrong. Gosh darn, um, should have taken better notes, but <laughs> she was ar- actually arrested for that once, and her family left her while she was in prison the first time, and then, yeah, she decided that was too dangerous, so when she got out, she started brokering just phone calls and money across the borders between people who had already defected and their families who remained behind in North Korea. So for that, she got a sentence of, I think it was like four years in this um, working camp. And had she been sent to the working camp, she would have been stripped of her citizenship and basically lose her human rights. It was, it's, they have concentration camps essentially in North Korea. So she was like, that's, a death sentence, but like the worst kind. So she and this guard who had become friends decide to escape and she knows the routes. And it's just this crazy harrowing story of them getting out and getting across the border and running into problem after problem and being chased. But did they crawl through a cave for 20 straight hours? I don't think they did. I think they (laughs) climbed through the mountains for... Also like rough. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. I I will go ahead and uh, give that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I think they win. I think they won this one. Um, very very cool story. Very inspiring. There's no romance in it, which you know, bummer. But- Big bummer. Why even read it? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just an amazing story, and I think they said it may have partially inspired crash landing on you but yeah just that that aspect of the story where there is a caste system and people may be disillusioned with it all um the the man jung kwan jin said that was just opened his eyes to the fact that he was born into a prison and had no freedoms in the country of north korea it's like dang but you don't yeah there's yeah no time and there's no real, I guess, point in integrating all of that into the drama. It would have been mm-hmm. 
really just miserable to watch this kind of lighthearted comedy romance that's very stressful and has a lot of high tension, high intensity moments, and then add the like, but also remember that this country that it's based on is very sad. Yeah, like things- like, let's not for a minute- Things are arguably even more rough than we are making them out to be, and these people are currently afraid for their lives by even going through the legal system. So just remember, it's like, no, don't, okay, we already don't like North Korea. I think the whole world agrees on that. We don't need to bring it into the drama. Yeah. They were too busy making us like specific North Koreans for them to also bring in that. It also would have added, I think, an interesting dialogue if they had wanted to include it. But ultimately, I'm glad that they didn't try and confront this. Because can you imagine if there was more... A lot of it was joking when it was said, and none of it with much specificity. But if there was more loyalty like that was born into these characters, especially like Ri Jun Hyuk or any of the boys in his good boy team, where they actually genuinely believed in their country. I mean, it was implied that they did, but more than anything, the loyalty lay with their families. They all had yeah. families that they loved and friends that they loved within North Korea. And it didn't really confront much of the actual, this probably isn't the right word, but temperament toward uh, like capitalism. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it didn't really, that wasn't, deeply embedded in any of them. The closest they ever got were jokes about how capitalism is evil, and other than that, like, it just wasn't really there. Um, I'm sure it was intentional for whatever reasons. It would have been very a lot harder, I think, to get the characters on the same level if it was about someone who was an extreme nationalist who loved his country, and then he ran into a South Korean within his country, that would have been a rough one. <laughs> but it never worked quite the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, reflecting on the show, they did have a lot of that stuff in the background, a lot of the more heavy... Like, I think that's something with um, the the baby baby soldier his family mm. was pretty impoverished um and then the wiretapper i think that was part of what jojo gong had over him i think he said he got manuel's mom out of prison mm -hmm. and maybe that was one of those like uh concentration camp type prisons which like yeah that i would give someone a lot of power over me if they were like i got your parent out of a concentration camp Yep. Like, okay, then you can have anything you want forever. I guess, I guess you own me now. So, what's up? What do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? But they don't really confront that in your face very much. It's all very in the background of, like, also North Korea is a very dark and sad place. Just so we know. But, like, we'll keep it light. We're talking about the five boys and we're all joking now. This is fun. Kyochil-su <laughs> thinks the North is the best, but it's mostly like, does he really... Does he? Because once he gets to the south, he seems to do pretty well there as well. So. He seems to like it there. So yeah, there's a lot of problems with the north. The first thing, the very first thing I looked up was reunification. Because we talked about that so much. <laughs> uh, we needed to get off of that. Apparently, there are plenty of people working on it, including President Moon. 
South Korea's president. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the fish fish truck is here. You might hear that. <laughs> it's like an ice cream I truck. I love Japan. It's so loud. It's like like an not? ice cream truck but for fish. Do kids run up to the fish truck to get fish or is it everybody? Is it more of an adults included? You hear the fish truck more music. Of an adults. Okay. Yeah. Like the kids aren't super excited to purchase a fish like please give me one albacore one or, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think albacore is a type of tuna i think you're on the right track uh-huh. nice yes <laughs> i know fish one fish stick please <laughs> um no yeah i don't really know what they sell if they just sell like frozen fish or just like fish sticks like a food cart go out there <laughs> I'm not gonna go out there <laughs> <laughs> Go ask them. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got us off track. Reunification. That's what we're talking about. There are three possible reasons or catalysts, I suppose, for reunification. One is the fall of the Kim regime. Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un, I think, is the one we're on. Mm-hmm. If his I regime so. falls... We're good. We're good to reunify. He seems to be a very volatile person who will try and maintain his power at all costs. So, like, probably won't happen. The second is another war. I don't know if that would turn into a world war. I don't know very much about military analytics. Yeah, it feels like it would. Um, I think the darkest and saddest thought that I'll have on this, and then we can yeet right out of politics, is that under our current presidency, I worry we'd be on the wrong side. (laughs) That's fair. We can leave that there. Uh, Also unlikely that they will just start a war again. Mm -hmm. The North does far too many uh, ballistics tests for the South to want that. And three... Most optimistic, most likely, is the slow merging of the two countries back together, which has the process kind of maybe has already been started. I think the past like three or four presidents of South Korea have been trying to work with the North. My recent article, I've followed the news in the past two weeks three weeks more closely than I've literally I never looked at my news app (laughs) on my phone until the past like three weeks and now it's uh I guess it's been like two or three months now because I was also checking it a lot due to coronavirus but now I check it because I really want our country to be changing and I'm actively trying to do things to help and a lot of people are actively trying to do things to help But one article that popped up, actually, was that uh, under the Kim regime, there's a sister who is, um, they, I've heard, cut off communication with the South. Like, they were having daily or weekly phone calls that I don't know exactly what those were about with that much frequency. I guess just kind of a peacekeeping thing. And the articles I read talked about how they stopped accepting phone calls this week um and it had something to do with i don't even know her name but kim jong-un's sister is somehow involved in cutting off these uh peaceful conferences via telephone so big bummer big bummer they said at 
the at the shortest it would take decades and decades to reunify slowly mostly because the when they split in the 50s their economies were both very very poor and south korea went through their economic boom in the 80s i believe was when like 87 i think was their economic reforma- reformation so i don't really know much about it but i know they had a massive economic boom due to like samsung and all these massive companies that skyrocketed their gdp and helped um boost them into very quickly into a a leading nation of the world so they're capitalistic right so they're like early stage capitalists capitalists we're late stage I don't capitalists know if they're still early so stage yeah if it happened in the 80s mid mid to late i don't know i don't know the aging process of an economy but but they are capitalists i'm, I'm pretty sure that we are late stage capitalists but we've been capitalists for longer mm. i feel like yeah they might be early stage cuz it still seems to be doing well for them mhm um it was interesting when i was reading about it they said a lot of korea's natural resources like coal and iron and rare minerals rare earth minerals are found in the north which was something we just heard in the king eternal monarch that i just kind of wrote off as like a lie but that was true that was true that's wild i feel like i'm learning so much in k-dramas that i just never acknowledge as actual learning because i'm like obviously it's fake obviously this is a k-drama it can't be real yeah but no they're writing these real facts in they're teaching us knowledge I mean, we do have to do the work and actually find out what's true and what's fake, but ugh, very exciting stuff. <laughs> that is really cool, though. Yeah, but yeah, South Korea is a capitalist economy with a GDP in the trillions, I think. Damn, South Korea, you're doing fine. They're doing great. North Korea is, uh, they had an they had a Korean name for their type of economy, which half of it, half of their economy is a market economy. And half of it is like a state-run economy. Uh, it's, it's a whole big mess as far as I know. And most of their GDP is from those exports that I talked about. And it's in the low billions. So mm-hmm. very far off from their neighbors to the south. And to integrate the economies would mean, from what I understood, that the South Korean capitalist society would be introduced to a massive pool of very low-income, like, low-wage workers, which is super harmful at a time when even now South Korea is having a hard time with young people entering the job market and not being able to find jobs. So, like, it would be really rough to just, like, open the borders and see how things go. Probably not great. Probably bad. Also... Dark fact. Sorry, this episode's <laughs> such a bummer. I'm really fascinated by this entire episode. I feel like I'm learning a lot. Um, maybe the jokes aren't flowing as freely as usual. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I feel like I'm keeping yeah. the vibe down, and I'm just giving my weird book report that's based on facts that I hopefully am remembering accurately. I love this, though. Keep teaching me. <laughs> um, I think it said... of South Koreans over the age of 65, so their their elderly population, about 
50% as of 2018 was living below the poverty line. So it's really hard for the president to balance the budget and, what is it called, allocate resources and money toward integration with North Korea when people in South Korea are struggling so much. Yeah, gotta take care of your elderly population first, I think, is yeah. the goal if we're putting it in order of operations. In order of operations? We're gonna say that take care of your own first. Is inside of the parentheses, so yeah. They, uh, I think it's called a super-aged population. They're moving towards a super-aged population, which is what Japan has currently. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Which just means way too many people in society are over the age of 65, and not enough people are having children. It's hard on the workforce. It's hard on the welfare systems. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't know that Korea was... All I knew that about Japan. I knew that they had a super-aged population. I didn't know that Korea was moving in the same direction. Me neither. And it's hard to find out hey, that Korea, they're struggling have some to babies. support their welfare systems. It's one of those things that as a person who likely, I mean, like at this stage in my life, I've currently made the decision with the understanding that it could change. I've made the decision not to have children. And I think a lot of, I don't know, I think that that just kind of happens as time flows for certain countries. Um, I don't know, it's hard to say, because here in Utah, everybody has like 20 babies. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things where I am firmly on the side of like, do you boo? But now all of a sudden, I'm like, no, guys, listen, hey, Korea, gotta have some babies. Yeah, that's a big problem in Japan. They implement or introduce all these policies that help or try and encourage the population to have kids. But it's hard when... You demand so many working hours from your citizens, and then you suddenly have so many people aging out of the workforce, so your your younger workforce has to work more hours to support the economy from collapsing. No time off to have kids, you know? No one can afford yeah, that. Yeah, hard to raise kids. Who has time? Who has the money Dang. for kids these days? Who has the money? Not me. Who I barely have. I support myself in Maurice, and that's about the extent of my budget. <laughs> that's about all we can do. Yeah, I think the marriage age, the average age of people getting married is going up. And then similarly, not obviously you don't have to be married to have children, but I think similar to that trend, the trend, uh, the age of having your first kid is also going up. And I... I think that's an international trend for, as far as first world countries at least. Mm -hmm. But it's hard on these smaller populations with a lot more elderly people. That's really interesting. We've learned a lot about the Korean economy today, both the North and South. I hope people fact-checked me. I hope... I was correct in most of the stuff that I said, and I wasn't just spewing, uh, what's it called, fake news? Man, if people think we are any kind of experts on anything, but especially economy, and very, very especially economies outside of our countries of either residency or citizenship... You gotta, you gotta know that that's not even close to a thing. You gotta know. You gotta get it We're together. Fools. Yeah. I really like economics, 
and I have taken many economics classes. I promise I have a degree in business, but like, I'm not here to educate you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Here Here to spit some fun facts at you and hope that I get something right. I love it, though. Um, the single fact that I looked up about crash landing on you wasn't even, like, a fun fact that no one knows about. It's just that, um, I looked a little bit into the other show that Hyunbin and Sun Yejin were in together. The Negotiation? The Negotiation. Yeah. Because I'm very interested in seeing that. I... Don't know if I will be... It might take a couple hundred years for me to be ready to see a movie with them in it where they are not Yoon Se-ri and <laughs> Ri Jun-hyuk. I think it will be very difficult for me to disconnect those characters and jump into new characters. I'm sure they do such an excellent job in these other roles that I wouldn't even think about it, you know? Yeah. But I get really caught up when I've watched an outstanding K-drama or really any body of work, but we'll keep it in the K-drama realm, when I've watched a particularly outstanding K-drama, I get very sad about starting anything new for just a little while, which is why I'm super glad we do these bonus episodes, because it gives us at least a week to yeah. uh, kind of down. yeah, and uh, get ready for the next drama. And so I think that would go even further with watching something that is starring the two stars of the K-drama that I loved so deeply, wherein I just have to have, I'm going to need some palate cleansers, I'm going to need to really disconnect, I'm going to need to forget about like the pain and the love and (laughs) all of the wondrous feelings that I felt during Crash Landing on You, and then I can watch The Negotiation. Uh, But I read a little bit about it. It looks really good. Have you seen it? No, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I think that uh, Eugene plays a detective or well she's a hostage negotiator in this and i believe that hyunbin plays a man who has taken hostages oh no buddy (laughs) i think so i believe that this is the case (laughs) i did not look very deeply into it yeah yeah right do do they (laughs) fall in love at the end could you tell me please (laughs) <laughs> if he lets the hostages go, does he really have to go to jail? I don't know much if, about South Korean laws, but it seems like if you don't actually do the crime... What if they go live together in Switzerland, you know? Like, what if together they move to Switzerland and live off the grid? Not just two weeks out of the year. But always. But always. They're forever together. Oof. One thing I read a while back was just an interview that Hyun Bin did with, I believe it was GQ Korea, where he talked about how he actually, they, I believe they were already filming Crash Landing on You, and he talked about how much he respects Ye Jin as an actor, and how he was really looking, he knew right away that he wanted to work with her again, because uh, she was just so spectacular, and he never really expected anything that she was doing as, in, like, their scenes together, but in that really good way where it brought something out of him that he really enjoyed and he really enjoyed working with her. And I thought that that was unbelievably great to read because I don't think it's uncommon for actors to celebrate each other and each other's work and to enjoy working with each other. I certainly don't think it's uncommon, but sometimes, and I don't read enough of these articles to even really have an opinion, but sometimes I worry that we don't 
celebrate uh, women's skills in acting enough, because we're very focused on how beautiful they look, which, (laughs) I mean, maybe I'm being unfair. Uh, I'm kind of a raging feminist, and I know that, and I just want to celebrate women constantly and uh, celebrate their skills and and all of that and their beauty. Like, that's fine, too, because why not? Celebrate it all. But I like the idea of putting skills first. And I like that that's something that he took the time to say in an interview, that he was really looking forward to working with her again because she's just such a spectacular actor. Like, that she was just so good at what she did. Because she is. She's fucking outstanding. She did such a good job. She's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Yeah. What good people. Yeah. Also, Kim Jong-hyun, who played Gu Sung-jun, and... So Jihye, who played So Dan, are acting again together. Acting together Yay. again. Yeah. Cute. They're That's in a new what we like to see. drama called Dinner Mate. Have you seen anything about it? Uh-uh. Is it on Vicky? Dinner Mate, as far as I know, is on its whole freaking own website. And I've only, I haven't looked it up. I've only seen this on Twitter that someone was like, it's on something like qtbc.com or something very random probably if you google it you'll be able to find where it's running but it wasn't on like vicky or netflix or cocoa which are the top three for getting your korean dramas so it was just in a weird place but apparently they don't play the romantic leads which kind of sucks (gasps) what yeah (laughs) so they know they're in a relationship in the first episode, and then, like, a bickering, falling-apart relationship. So I think he's out of the picture fairly quickly. I think she maybe breaks up with him. This is based off of a Soombi description of the show. Yikes. Like, he plays Come the on. soon-to-be ex-boyfriend, from what I understood. They're really gonna do this to me right now. I feel personally attacked. Like, just get another guy to play him, then. Yikes. But also precious, and I do hope that they have a camaraderie and a friendship from their time together. Yeah, I saw that she and Hyunbin were also in something together before Crash Landing on You. It was called The Rampant. Released in 2018, he was so busy. In like 2017, (laughs) 2018, he was filming everything. Just like, get it, Hyunbin. Reach your yeah, because that's the same year that The Negotiator uh, released, was 2018. Oh my god. Yeah, get a boy. He is on his grind. He is getting it done. Kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a new style of bonus episode. I hope it was listenable. I, for one, loved it, because I felt like I learned a lot. It felt like I was listening to a completely other podcast that I would personally actually listen to. (laughs) Uh, I feel honored to have gotten to be a part of something so informative. And I hope, like you said, that it was accurate. I trust you. And it sounded legit. Most of my end was just wild speculation. Just (laughs) on whatever you said, I was going to wildly speculate. I may have also wildly speculated. I'm not sure. I don't think I did. But, like, it's hard to keep your feelings out of it when you're not actually a news presenter. And you really want reunification. Yeah. I just want Ri Jun-hyuk and Yoon Se-ri to be able to be together. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? 
They're real in my heart. What if we start with them and they're the first two to reunify? Like they're the first two citizens of the, their respective countries to be able to do whatever they want and cross the border and they're fine and everything's fine. Boom. Test run completed successfully. This is going to be great. So far, so good. <laughs> Look at their twin daughters with dual citizenship. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed the show. I also very much enjoyed the show. And I guess that's all that matters at the end of the day. Hopefully, our listeners enjoyed it too, though. Yeah, let us know what you thought of this new format. Um, Before we wrap up, just two bonus episode housekeeping things that we can do. I don't know. There was a Bust Up Girl Award. But uh, I'm pretty sure we ended up giving it to someone who disqualified themselves from being a bus stop girl. I don't remember who all we nominated, but we were kind of thinking about giving it to the uh, South Korean border police. I don't know what they... I can't remember. Customs agents? Oh, yeah. The NIS guy? Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like there was someone else that we nominated somewhere along the way, but uh, that's gone now. So maybe no bus stop girl awards, unless you can think of any. I'm still fine with giving it to the NIS guy, because I don't know his name. Yeah, there we go. And he, <laughs> he did had a lot of speaking much. parts, but he did enough that he really deserves to be a bus stop girl in our hearts. Unless we want to make a new award category just for him, because he goes above and beyond to sail this ship. But, like, how many more will there be? Will we make an award for him just to see this trope, like, die in this show? I don't know if my heart could take it. No. No, can't do it. So yeah, we'll we'll give him bus stop girl. I mean, it's not like we're giving happy awards, so yeah, it feels like he overqualified for the bus stop girl and underqualified for the happy award. Mm-hmm. We'll give him bus stop girl. We'll give him two bus stop girl awards. Give him two bus stop girl awards, and then the last thing is we just gotta rate it. Which I already know what I'm gonna rate it. I've committed. What are you gonna What are you gonna rate it, bud? Ten out of ten. If we're going on a 10-star scale, it's 10 stars. One hundred. I give it a 100%. 10 stars, perfect show. Yep. Same. Absolutely. That's a 10. Yeah, this this will be the, the criteria by which we hold every other show from now on. Yep. We've had Goblin to hold every other show against for so long, it's time to do a quick refresh, and now we'll hold everything up against Crash Landing on you. Good luck, other shows in the world. Good luck. Here we go. <laughs> If you want to let us know what your rating is, hit us up on Twitter and just be like, Crash Landing on You is a 10 out of 10. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Play on K. Yeah, we have our email as well if you want to write to us about, like, if you had a correction for us on anything that we said today, or if you just wanted to chat more about Crash Landing on You because you're equally obsessed with it and you would also give it a 10 out of 10 and you could probably want just do a spinoff podcast about it we have our email playonkpodcast at gmail.com we have a website playonk.com where you can find all of our episodes leave comments directly on each episode you can sign up for our newsletter so you never miss when we start a new show which we will as of next week and you can sign up for our patreon there or you can find the link to our patreon there yeah and then we are you can find us on all kinds of streaming places uh, for all of your podcasting needs. So if you like to listen on iTunes or Blueberry or Stitcher, and if you wanted to drop us a rating and review on there, we would super appreciate it. And uh, it would just help us kind of be seen by more K-drama lovers. Yeah. Last but not least, we now have an Instagram. Hi. Oh, I 
forgot about that. We are at Play on K Podcast. Yeah, it's really, really neat. We're excited to be on Instagram. It's one of my personal favorite social media platforms, and I spend way too much time on it as is, so now I'm glad to have moved Play on K onto such a time-consuming and obsessive social media platform. Mm-hmm. It's so, so good. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Hop on over, follow us, talk about K-dramas with us, you know, just stuff and things. Just stuff and things. Say hi. Thank you to Olivia Birch for making our first month full of pictures on Instagram. She's on Fiverr, and she's amazing. Go check out her talent if you like our pictures. Yeah, she's helped us a lot because we're dumb babies when it comes to any kind of marketing and has some aesthetic ability. I don't even try. So... So thank you, Olivia, and thank you, James Hevel, for our beautiful, wonderful theme song. We love it, and we love you. We love it, and we love you, and we love all of you for listening. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you next week. Keep an eye out for our newsletter that announces what K-drama we're doing next. Whoop, whoop. K-bye. K-bye.